This is the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you are listening to episode 122. The name of this podcast, Life Over Coffee, is What is Christian Maturity? I want to talk about that in the podcast. I have a graphic for you. If you go to the show notes, episode 122, 122, What is Christian Maturity? You can look at this graphic. You can have it. You can use it. You can share it. You can teach it if you want to. And I hope that this podcast will help you to walk through how to teach this infographic to those that you care about, those that are under your discipleship care. What is Christian maturity and how do you know if you are mature? My follow-up question is, how do you help your friends grow up into Christ-like maturity? In this podcast, I want to tackle these two specific questions. I also have some articles here linked that will serve you well, plus a video One of the articles is The Four-Step Process of Change, an excellent article that breaks down 2 Timothy 3.16, where we hear about God's Word being effective for teaching, for reproving, for correction, for training. Those are the four steps. You can read that article and it will serve you. The short video I have here also, it's about 90 seconds or so, something like that, it It walks through those four steps. It gives you an excellent visual video breakdown of 2 Timothy 3.16. I think it will serve you. Did you know that you can use our videos in your church meetings when you have uh, maybe a break during church or before your church meeting starts? You can show any of our videos on our Vimeo channel. Just go grab one and, and show it. That would bless my soul, and you're welcome to do that. But this article, Four-Step Process to Change, How to Take Every Thought Captive is another one, and that's an important one here because I want to be talking about your thought life, your inner being. And then the third article, there are only four problems in life. Your job, solve them. I break out the four universal problems that we all struggle with, and it's a part of Well, you really have to get a handle of that. Let me say it that way if you want to grow up in Christian maturity. And then the infographic, as I mentioned, the four parts of the infographic that make up Christian maturity are character, theology, skill, and the exportation of all of that to those whom you serve. Character, who am I? My innermost being, theology, what I know, Theos Logos, it's the study of God. So it's the big overarching word for theology, but it covers so many theological disciplines. We just say theology, and that's the whole shooting match, but it's a big word, and it covers a lot of detail, deep and wide. What do I know? Theos Logos, about God. Character, who am I? Theology, what do I know? Skill, how will I live? in this world. That's part three. I want you to notice the sequential order. There's a starting point. Character, who I am in the innermost part of my being. Theology, what I know about God. And then it works out into skill, how I live in in this world, practically the unique person that I am. And then the fourth piece of Christian maturity is exportation. 
if we are not exporting, if we're not fulfilling the call to go make disciples, spreading God's fame near and far, then we're nothing more than a a dead sea, and we're not maximizing the fullest potential that God wants us to maximize in his world. So character, theology, skill, and exporting those things. All right, let's take them in order. I want to talk about each one individually, but it is important that you see them. They're all together, and I'm putting them in a sequence so that we can think about them in a sequence, but the truth is they, they're all interrelated and they're intermeshed together into one big ball of wax, and, and they all work together, feeding each other and fueling each other and deriving from each other. But I want to pull them apart so that we can think about it because it's easier to think in a sequential order. So let's take number one, who am I? That's the character question. God acts upon us by regenerating us. I like to say God saved me as opposed to I got saved. I like using God as the subject here and me as the object because God imposed himself on me, according to Ephesians 1, I was dead in my trespasses, I was dead in my sins, and God imposed himself. He made me alive. He quickened me, caused me to be born again. And when God acts upon us, he regenerates us. He gives us a second birth, which is where we get the term born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus in 3.7 of John. After God regenerates you, you're born a second time. It sets the stage for change. Change cannot happen unless you are born a second time. Now, I'm talking about sustainable change. Everybody can turn over new leaves. Everybody can read self-help books at Barnes & Noble and pick up a few tips and habits and practices, but long term, sustainable, God-glorifying change comes only after you are born a second time. And so God acts upon us. He regenerates us. We have a new birth. And our inner selves, we are giving a new heart, a heart of Christ-likeness. Now, it becomes a lifelong process. Just because you got a new heart, It doesn't mean that you are mature. There's a transformation process. In Christianity, we call that, well, there's two parts when we we talk about sanctification. There's definitive sanctification, meaning you have everything that you need for life and godliness. You are definitively sanctified. You are positionally sanctified in Christ with a new heart. But... We also have progressive sanctification that flows out of our definitive sanctification. We want to grow up into maturity. As Peter said, we don't want to be babes, always drinking the milk. Or as the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 5, that we become dull of hearing and and we can't eat the meat of God's word. So there is a maturation process just because you received a new heart. Praise God for that. But that sets the stage. Now it is on you to work out what God is working into you. You read that kind of language in Philippians chapter 2, where God is working into us, and because we are not robots, we are 
in relationship with him, we are working out what he is working in. And James talked about this also in James 2, talking about dead faith. If your faith is alive, then stuff is going to be coming out of it, meaning works, obedience, practices. And it can only happen because you have been regenerated. It's similar to, if you could use this word picture like dough for bread, you have bread on the counter, this dough, and, and you want to work into it. And so you put your hands in it. Now, I'm not much of a cook, so I may butcher this <laughs> analogy. But you put your hands in it, and you're working. That's God working into it. He's working into it. And there's a response from the bread. And as God is working into our new hearts, we are responding with the things that he is working into us. So he gives us a new heart, which we're supposed to engage him and others, by the way, and that brings shape to our new hearts. It's an ongoing process. Paul gave us a template for this in Ephesians 4, 22, 23, 24. It's an ongoing process of putting off old thoughts. He, he talked about them being deceitful. We have a former manner of life. Now, depending on how long you've been living, your former manner of life can be quite lengthy. Mine was a quarter of a century. I had 25 years of a former manner of life. I had some deep habituations in my life, deep disobediences, deep sin, transgressions that have become my habits. And so when I came into Christianity, I received a new heart but I also brought in this old lifestyle. And so I, I needed to start practicing, putting off that former manner of life. And then step two in Paul's template in Ephesians 4 is you renew your mind. And that's why I linked in this article here, the article, How to Take Your Thoughts Captive, because this is such a big deal, because our thoughts can be so intertwined into deception and old ways because that's who we were before we received this new heart. And then the third step is putting on Christ's likeness. So it's a simultaneous, three actions happen, happening simultaneously to grow our inner being. We're putting off these old deceitful desires. We are renewing our mind and we're putting on new thoughts and new ways of thinking that translate into, into behaviors. If you don't do this, your mind, your thoughts, your inner being, and your behaviors will not change. This is a constant thing. It would be nice to receive a new heart. Well, I suppose it would be nice. Maybe it wouldn't be nice. I was going to say it would be nice to receive a new heart and not have to do anything. But the problem with that is that our gratitude is, is tied to this reality of our growth. If we don't experience struggle and experience the victories that God is working into us, our gratitude will be muted somewhat. But as we grow and we appropriate God's grace in our lives and we begin to see the evidence of change as he's working into us and we're relating to him, we're agonizing before God in prayer, we're, we're working through God's word and trying to learn and change, all that activity as we're engaging the Lord and engaging others, it actually makes our gratitude more profound 
and more real. That's why I think it's better for it to be this way rather than just getting a new heart and being fantastic right from the beginning. No, we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And if you do not do this, your mind won't change and your behaviors will not change either. A core element in how we bring shape to our character is is by studying theology. The more you study God's Word, the more your inner being will experience transformation by God's Word. And so we want to make sure that in order for our characters to be transformed, we want to be immersing ourselves in God's Word. A new heart needs input from your interactive relationships with God and others. I mentioned God mostly earlier, but we want to make sure that we are interacting with others. If your new person does not experience biblical shaping influences, shaping influences from God's Word, shaping influences as you are appropriating God's grace in your life, shaping influences as you interact with others, Everything that flows out of your heart will be problematic. Jesus said in Luke 6, 43 through 45, that out of our mouths come our behaviors, come our words. And so if you want to change your words, change your behaviors, you got to change your heart. That's why this first part is so important. Proverbs 4, 23, you want to guard your heart with all diligence, vigilance, because out of it flows life issues. Now, in a way, your character is the most important aspect of these four parts that I'm presenting to you in this podcast. Though, as I said earlier, there is an inseparableness to all four of these parts. Let me give you an illustration about the character thing and why it's so important. When you're hiring someone or promoting someone for a ministry position, or you're hiring somebody for work, say the work that you have, a job that you have, it's critical that you know them from a character perspective, that you don't just know them behaviorally. You want to know who they are because everything that they are flows out of their character, and you know we can fake behaviors for a while. You can fake a resume. You can fake an interview. You can fake a, if you're a pastor getting a job or, or want to be a pastor trying to get a job, you can fake the chicken dinner with the deacons. You can fake that. You will not discern an individual's character from a battery of tests. And this is unfortunate. Now, I realize that the world doesn't have an answer to be able to discern character, so they give us all these tests that we can take to discern the person. And there's a little, there's a modicum of good in that, but the truth is you will not know the person if you do not know their character. The only way that you can know them is to spend a lot of time with them. It's one of the core elements to our mastermind training. We have hired some of our graduates from our program, and we have placed them in specific positions. And the reason that we can do that is because I've spent two-plus years with them getting to know them inside and out. And I can learn them pretty well and know what makes them tick and what their strengths and weaknesses are. I can learn their character because we spend hours and hours and hours of learning them. 
Now, I realize in some situations, it's hard to spend that kind of time. The best in a, in a church situation, best case scenario, is to grow your leaders from within by spending time with them because character is so essential. And so often we we don't diagnose character, usually due to time constraints, and we look at the behaviors, and it's much harder to hire a person and have to let them go than never hiring them in the first place because character will become manifest. Dating is the same thing. And for those of you who are dating, you will not know the character uh, in a short period of time. You need time in grade with that person, and you need other people spending time with that person you don't want to make that mistake. And I know that there's many people who are listening to me right now who have made that mistake and they're living a life of regret. So when it comes to assessing Christian maturity, point number one, who am I? is a character question. Point number two, what do I know? A theological question. Everything we know about God comes from the Bible. You don't know anything about God outside of the Bible. The books that you read, the podcasts that you're listening to, like this one, if there's anything that you learn about God, it's because that information came from the Bible. The Bible is a special, and it is truly unique, revelation It is special because it is God revealing himself to us through a document, through his word. It is unique because there is nothing else. There's not another one. The Bible is a special and unique revelation that permits us to know God so that we can imitate him. We're told in Ephesians 5.1, 1 Corinthians 11.1, Philippians 4.9, All of them say essentially the same thing, that we are to imitate Christ. We are to follow Christ. We are to be like him. We are to be Christ-like. It is impossible to be Christ-like without knowing him. You cannot know him without studying the Bible. A good goal for every Christian is to be mastered by God's word. Now, I can go from from this point and and talk about the many different ways to study God's Word, and I don't want to do that because it, it could take hours. But the process does begin being mastered by God's Word. That process does begin by studying it. And there are many ways of doing this. I, I just want to mention one way. One of the most effective means of submitting yourself to the power of God's Word is to memorize it. Take God's Word, put it inside your head. Memorization has several benefits. I just want to mention two of those benefits to you. One, it washes your mind. The Bible is the car wash for the mind. It washes your thoughts. And if you're like me, I was messed up. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not messed up now. I'm I'm a work in progress. I'm a work in progressive sanctification. But I was seriously messed up before God regenerated me. I needed brainwashing. And I decided after God, shortly after God regenerated me, after I 
I had to nail this thing about, is this God's word? And once that was nailed for me, I decided, I told the Lord one time, I, I said, you know what? Uh, everybody's brainwashed by something. Nobody's objective. We're all subjective. We're all shaped by things. The only person who's objective is God himself. Everybody else is subjective. And if I am subjective, meaning I have an interpretive grid through which I see life, then I want my interpretive grid to look like the Bible. I want it to be like, like if you held your Bible up in front of your eyes and as though you could look through it, that that Bible would be the filter through which you saw life. That's what I wanted God to do to my mind. I'm not there yet, by the way. But I knew that by memorizing God's word, that would put me on the path I wanted to be brainwashed. And so I asked God to brainwash me by his word. I want the water of his word sweeping through my mind, sloshing through my mind daily. Memorization is one of the most effective ways to get you a cranial cleanse, get a brainwash. Two, it gives the Spirit of God something to illuminate. When the, God, when the Spirit of God illuminates your mind, meaning when the Spirit of God goes into your mind and turns the light on, you want something to be in there. You don't want him to turn the light on and be a big, big empty room. And I've seen this so often in counseling. When I'm counseling people, when I'm helping people, which is the only kind of people I counsel, by the way. That's a little bit redundant. But when I counsel people, when I counsel, let me say it that way, God gives me things to share with these people. The Spirit of God illuminates my mind and brings things to my attention that I had not thought about before until that moment. If you put God's Word in your mind, He, he will illuminate it. He will bring it. It's like when Jesus told the disciples, don't worry about what to say when you get to that town. I will give you the words to say at that time. You put the words in your mind and the Spirit of God, when he turns to switch on, he'll point to what you need and it'll help you in that time of need, whether you're discipling somebody else or discipling yourself. God's Word is a spiritual book that you figure out spiritually. I'm paraphrasing 2 Corinthians 2.14. It's spiritually discerned. The only way that you can figure out God's Word within the capacities that God has given you. I'll get to that in a moment. But the only way that you can figure out God's word is, is spiritually. You have to be a spiritual person. One, you have to be made alive by God. And you must be interacting with the Holy Spirit as he engages you. So you put God's word in your mind. With the word of God and the spirit of God actively working in your mind, you are in the best position to experience transformation. And that's my point in this podcast what is Christian maturity? Number one, part one, who am I? A character question. Point number two, what do I know? A theological question. Point number three, how do I live? A capacity question. Every person has a unique soul, just like they have a unique body. Line up a hundred people and it would be 100 unique bodies that you would be looking at. We're all different. Paul talked about the small soul person in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Your Bible may say feeble-minded. What it means is small soul. It's the kind of individual who has a small soul. It means what it says, has a small soul. Understanding how people are different 
it's a twofold positive. One, you can refrain from putting pressure on yourself to be like someone else. You should become a mature version of the person that God has created you to be. Sometimes we can look across the fence and see other people and say, I want to be like that person. Well, no, that person has a different soul than you do. Everybody doesn't have the same body or the same soul. You are a unique person. And the more you understand your uniqueness, you'll begin to discern your capacities and how God has shaped you, and you can refrain from putting pressure on yourself to be like someone else. Some people have great capacities. Some people think differently than I do. Some people just get stuff. Like There are some people, I'm not going to name names, but I think, I wish I could do that, but I can't. It's not within my wheelhouse. And I've learned somewhat imperfectly not to put pressure on myself to be someone that God is not calling me to do, understanding your capacity. Number two, you can refrain from expecting people to be like you. I'm talking about secondary preferential issues. A good friend will discern others to see what God is doing in their lives and cooperate with the Lord to help their friend become a better version of their Christ-like selves. When I was earlier in our marriage, I, I may have possibly expected Lucia to be like me in certain ways. Well, let's guess what? That caused friction. And it was when I learned that God made her, well, I kind of knew that anyway, but when I began to apply the fact that I knew that God made her differently, then we began to leverage our assets. She's a gift who is unique, who is really different from me. Praise God. And so I can refrain from expecting people to be like me. And then I can also refrain from putting pressure on myself by trying to be like someone else. How do I live? A capacity question. And then number four, who will I serve? A serving question. Part of our call is to go out and make disciples. We know that. It flows out of the two most significant commandments, to love God, to love others most of all. A non-serving Christian is a broken Christian, if he's a Christian at all. To not care, I'm using serve in this podcast, to not serve, to not care about others, to not serve others, is antithetical to the gospel. There are many dangers about this idea of serving the behavioral side of life is what I'm talking about. Let me list four. People can put on a fake Christ-likeness because they're smart enough to do so. That's why I was saying earlier that the capacity question is so huge. If you're just looking at the behavioral side of things, people can put on a fake Christ-likeness. Number two, an individual can take serving and turn it back onto himself. Now, that's narcissism. Serving re requires an object which is God and others. God and others are the two objects for serving. But if you make yourself the object of your love, is self-serving. God so loved the world. The love went away from God and toward the world. That's the action of serving. It goes to others. God so loved the world. And we imitate that. We so love other people. But when you turn the love back on yourself, I so love myself. 
that's self-serving and you'll self-destruct as well as ruin all of your relationships. Number three, selfish ambition can fuel a person's desire to perform for others. They're working for applause. They're working for acceptance. And sometimes, if you're not discerning the person's character, their understanding and application of theology, point number two, well, you could think that they're serving as well, but it's really they're serving as just self-serving because they're performing for your acceptance. There are many dangers on this behavioral side that I'm talking about. You can fake Christ-likeness, as I said. You can turn serving on to yourself, which is narcissistic. Selfish ambition, where you're craving the applause of others, you learn to serve so that you can be accepted. And then number four, serving can become normative in some church structures. They, pro they promote ministry while not focusing on character. For example, you can be a leader in the church in a ministry and have an awful personal life or a marriage. Four parts to Christian maturity. In this order, who am I? my being, my character. Number two, what do I know? A theological question. How am I building, shaping my character by my theology? Number two, my capacity. What is my uniqueness and how does it fit into God's world? And then number four, go and serve others in God's world. This is episode number 122. If we can serve you with any questions that you may have, come to rickthomas.net and it would be a privilege to serve you. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.